This is The Analysis, a weekly examination of the culture in light of truth. I'm Deanna Huff. And I'm Mark DeMoss. Join us as we investigate and analyze the environment of the world where we live. We will be shedding the light of God's Word on the issues. And responding as Christians to influence followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those around them. Well, Deanna, uh, welcome back from us to our listeners and thankful that they would join us and be part of the conversation uh, as we keep thinking and talking about uh, issues in our world, issues of of importance to people as we have conversations, uh, matters that we come across in the news that we think are are probably worthy of some further discussion, uh, especially when we think, you know, this could be a cultural conversation, conversations people have around their dinner table. That's one culture we all live in. We have our family unit or at work or in people's Bible studies or wherever they may be. Uh, we come across matters that we think could could use further thinking. And, and, and so we take the time to discuss that and hopefully help others think about those matters as well. So uh, one of those uh, recently came up in, in our own listening to cultural conversations uh, had to do with um, a, a, a book that came out uh, recently uh, called The Two-Parent Privilege, and we're not going to really discuss the book itself, but just kind of the premise of, of what's going on there. The, I, I think the, the full title of the book was Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married and Started Falling Behind, um, and just trying to, to process the, the reality of what does it look like in an American culture? Why, why economically are people suffering? Why kind of, uh, uh, is, there, is there lower social economic status and those kinds of things when you look outside of, of kind of the, I don't like using the term necessarily, but we understand it when we use the term nuclear family. Uh, when you look outside the nuclear family, uh, why are there some of the challenges that we face and what does that mean for the society going forward and, and dealing with some of those kinds of things and, and of course it raises then the question and the issue of why is the family so important why, why do we value it so highly why do churches teach and think and talk about family and, and encourage that and, um, and, and discourage living together instead of getting married, having children rather than going childless. And why would the church care about those matters? Why can't it be a person's individual choice? So it it just brings up some of those issues and opportunity to talk about it. I think that's so true. When I saw this book had been released, I actually got it because I wanted to start reading it and Mm -hmm. see what is this author really talking about when she's talking about the fact that there's inequality among kids there's uh, this is happening because you know there's this privilege within people who are married that they have this economic status and they have this stability that other kids are not not having but i think that this is a place where christians really do have something really valuable to say to society and that is that God did establish marriage and children to their parents so that they could form societies mm-hmm. and p- 
people are walking around asking the question, what is the downfall of our society? Well, ultimately, we know that it's sin, but there, there's reasons. What, what is creeping in? What, what sins are tearing the family apart, mm-hmm. you know? And you see, like, the sexual revolution in the 60s, and then you begin to see all these transformations take place within our society that say, well, it's really not that important to be married. And now we're on the other side, you know, 20, 40 years later, and we're going, wait a second. Mm -hmm. We've got problems, and our kids aren't necessarily graduating. Our kids are not going to a vocation or a college. You know, what is going on in society? Is it just because... They don't have everything equally. If we gave it to them, would they succeed? And what she's coming out saying is that there is something to the family. And this is coming from the liberal side. Right. So right. it's not like it's someone in the church going, hey, we need to speak to this. And and I think that there's something important on this podcast that we could both agree on is that we realize that there's sin in the world and that and that we're a fallen people and things happen. God has given us the church. And so within the church, sometimes in our in our brokenness, God uses people in the church to fill in the gaps where we falter or fall short. Right. And so we're not trying to paint this perfect picture, but God did give us a picture within the family to be yeah. able to raise kids. Yeah, for sure. We can agree on that. Um, and 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 we can also take a little bit closer look at what the the book is really trying to say. You, you talked about the word privilege, and that's a word we hear a lot in our society right now. There's the privileged group, and there's the underprivileged group, and 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 really a large portion of our society wants to kind of paint the contrast that way, right? That we we're going to divide the world up between those who are privileged and those who are not. And so, how do we normalize and equalize everybody? Um, and so. While she's saying there's something to the family, it creates privilege, right? Children who come from two-parent families have better test scores and, and get into colleges at greater rate. They find more success and happiness in their careers. Uh, they are involved in less crime, all these kinds of things. So she go, so they've been, they, that's because they've experienced this privilege that others have not been able to have. And we understand that that's true. Right? There's people raised in single parent families. There's children that got abused by one or both of their parents. There's grandparents that have had to raise their children because of, of things that have happened either naturally or by evil to their to their own children. And so now the grandparents raising a child and, and maybe doing it with a fixed income and not some technological advancement. And, and you go, yeah, there are some advantages that that but she wants to normalize and equalize it by going, well, let's diminish what it allows for the, the children coming out of the stable family and give extra help to the people that come out of the other, and that'll equalize it, and then they'll both be better. But we know the end result of that is it always falls down to the lowest common denominator, right? You lower the standard, you don't mm-hmm. raise the standard for everybody, you see that over and over. And so that's the basis she's coming from, and, and we're saying, we, you've identified a problem, but our solution is different, and and, and the and the way to and the way to help is different. And you pointed to one of the markers: the church, people who are raising a child on their own, 
A church community can assist in that and fill in some gaps. Relationships within the body of Christ can meet some needs that they can't meet by themselves. And really that's true for a two-parent family. By being involved in the church, my children don't benefit just from coming from my home. Mm-hmm. They benefit from being part of a body of Christ that loves them and disciples them and trains them and equips them and challenges them and gives them insight into other ideas and and different kinds of careers and different kinds of schools and different kinds of opportunities and and people who are in the church and single and and aren't married and aren't having children and and, and maybe maybe will either choose or be gifted that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, by being in the church, they're not left in the unprivileged. Well, I'll never be as successful, and I'll never have the money, and I'll—they're not left in that. They have a body of Christ that meets those needs. So we're pointing to one of those helps that exists. This particular book it makes me think of the movie The Giver, mm-hmm. and in The Giver, basically what happens is uh, babies are born, and they're not necessarily born to the parent, and couples are paired together and they're given kids they're given you know two kids so that everything is completely equal so there's no suffering and there's no pain and there's no none of these things in the world and that they can have a happy society and you know one of them is sitting at dinner one night and they're talking and all of this is is going around in my mind oh my goodness like this is a kid that's just been given just out of number to you know an individual to raise there's how are we fostering love how are we fostering the idea of when someone faces adversity the point is that we can't create a perfect society mm-hmm. and we cannot bring equality to everybody we know that there's a solution and this is pointing out that there is a problem and God has given us a solution, right? right? And so we need to move toward the solution that God has for us. And that's, you know, ultimately restoration in Christ and then moving forward in making decisions that will be reflective of Him. Yeah, you're bringing out a, an important point in talking about suffering and it's sanctifying work and and how with the illustration of the of the movie the attempt to try to eliminate that which is the same idea there's privilege you've got to eliminate that um, if, if we can eliminate the suffering that somebody's gone through we'll make them better for it and yet we know God uses suffering in a believer's life to make them better <laughs> uh, through perseverance comes character and character hope uh, and and, and lack of hope is where really life will break down for you. When there's, when there's hope, people will go on through very difficult things. And so we kind of eliminate the concept of suffering can be good. There, that out of suffering, God can use things that you go through to develop you and to change you and to teach you. And so the sanctifying work that suffering has. and, and and, and that's missing in this idea of if we can eliminate the privilege and really does drive us back to, yes, God had a design for the family. Was, it, was the design kept in place? Well, God's idea, the design was in place, but we broke what he wanted to do when we sinned. 
And yet, if we will continue to trust him and and live back according to what his design was, we get to enjoy the benefit and the blessing of of what he intended out of that design. And so, uh, helping helping people see that yeah, we've we've made mistakes and it's broken, but if we'll if we'll pursue God's design, he's also provided ways to keep us inside of the blessings of that design. He gave to Adam and Eve in in the garden setting, not only their relationship with one another and, and showed us the value and importance of that kind of deep relationship, he also gave command on what to do, right? It, here's a garden, keep and cultivate it, and rule and subdue the earth, and cultivate we take that in the full gardening term. They were in a garden. He wanted to cultivate it. So they were supposed to grow more fruit. And really to cultivate means to create culture. They were supposed to rule and subdue the earth, take the resources that existed and keep doing what he did. He formed and filled the earth. That was the first thing he did when he created. Mm-hmm. And then he gave to Adam and Eve a command to keep forming and filling, keep cultivating, work what I've given you, take the resources of the of the world the physical resources the human resources the intellect the capacities that i'm putting inside of human beings and keep doing things to develop greater and greater flourishing among the society but you've got to do it according to my design and my command if you don't just like you disobeyed originally then it leads to more suffering more problems more but when you follow my design then it follows in the path of, of growing and cultivating like you would the garden. It reminds me of Carl Truman because his recent book on the triumph of self, I think it's called, mm-hmm. he talks about the great forget. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what we've done. You know, people recognize that if family does impact the success of a student, ultimately, we've forgotten God, you know, and we've forgotten his design and we've forgotten his ways. And so we're trying all these things to find these pleasures, to find these happiness points in our lives. But the reality is, is that we're broken from that garden like you're talking about. And we've forgotten who God is, therefore we've forgotten who we are, and now we don't know how to live or have purpose or to flourish society and cultivate it in the way that you're talking about with Adam and Eve. But we can repent and do what is right, and we can be restored in part in this life to have Christ, and we can share that with other people. And and we realize... Doing that, doing God's design, doesn't mean it's going to work out perfectly. Right, right. There's still going to be problems in the job you have. There's still going to be brokenness in relationships that you have. Right. You're you're still you, two parent families are going to raise children that that reject their parents' teaching and don't fall in the faith, or make life choices that prevent them from being able to have a, a greater flourishing than than they could have experienced. And it's, right, we understand that we have, brokenness still exists in all of it. Yet there's a there's a standard design, and and you're using a key point. If we repent and keep returning to His design, 
then we, we begin to live within the realm of where he can bless and, and flourishing can occur. And within the family of believers, you find those resources that what is broken in the natural world, you can find um, answers to those issues within the body of Christ. And so whether it's brokenness in relationship or brokenness in your in your person, brokenness in your work, within the body of Christ, you can find relationship, you can find guidance, help, counsel, you, you can find avenues to be involved in providing work to the society, whether it's career, volunteering, and serving. You can find meaning and purpose. And, and that's what people are, right? That's the question. Why am I doing what I do? Does this have any meaning? Why are, why are any of us here? And why am I doing what I'm doing? And why am I suffering the way I'm suffering? They're looking for all those answers. And it's within God's design that that occurs. It, the issue is not that some are privileged and some aren't. The issue is that all of us have chosen to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're not experiencing the blessing of his presence. And in our society today, as you you know, you were talking about brokenness, and I've mentioned this before, is that, you know, we have these points of of joyfulness and we think, oh, well, we found the joy and it's because I'm living the way that I'm living. And then we get to this point where we're like, wait, I'm not so happy anymore. What happened? I want to get back to that point of joyfulness. And as C.S. Lewis said, these are the signposts that point us to a greater happiness, to a greater joy. They are telling us that there is something beyond us and we can reach for those. And that's what's happening here. We're trying to reach and find how we can get equality and goodness for everybody. And the answer is not going to come in the tools and things of this world. This world is is ruled in a kingdom of darkness, and there is a kingdom of light. There is a kingdom of light, but that will only come through Christ. And one day, He will restore the world for a new heaven and a new earth and a new body, and there will be joy forever and no more pain, no more suffering. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we can extend to people. Yeah, we, we live with a hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much the world is not living with a hope. If this is all there is, then of course, I've got to do everything I can to make this work. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other side is, if this isn't all there is, if there's something better awaiting me, it doesn't make me value this less. It gives me more freedom to work really hard at making this world work and flourish but knowing that although there'll be thorns and thistles in my earthly garden, that doesn't get the final answer. I can work hard here, pour, pour all my sweat equity into it, enjoy the blessing that does come, those moments of joy you just talked about, enjoy those, but know that even though they won't last in this life, it's out there and it's coming and it will always last. And that gives me freedom to, to pour in more here uh, versus... If this is all there is, I'm not going to pour into something here that's not going to bring me joy and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Why would I invest it? Why would I invest in a marriage that's only bringing me sorrow? Why would I keep dealing with a child that is rebelling against everything I want them to do? 
right? Why, why would I stay with a job that doesn't bring me any happiness or fulfillment? I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do any of those things. Why? Why? Because this is all there is. So I, I've got to go do something that's going to get me some happiness. But if I can see it as God brought, God's brought me to this place in this marriage. God's brought this situation with my child. God's allowed this circumstance in my work for this season. I can, I can bear under that knowing he's going to either solve it here or solve it there. Mm-hmm. And I can keep serving. If I, if I know these things are his will, I can bear under this because there's something waiting for me. That changes our whole outlook when we have that kind of hope. So Deanna, I, I, I hope those conversations are helpful to, to those listening. And, uh, I, you know, obviously we talked about this book. We're not saying the book is the answer. The book raises some questions that may be worth the read for people to understand. What's, how's the culture thinking and looking at this? And you don't have to read the book to understand its premise. You, know, you may be able yes. to just read some articles or blogs that are written about the book and, and understand kind of the premise. But we, we want people to be engaged in the conversation with their culture of what this looks like. So thanks for the conversation with me, Deanna, and thanks for listening.